Hello, everybody. My name is Russell Brooks, uh, Associate Director for Executive Education and Online Learning at LSE. And it's my great pleasure to welcome you to the fifth and final webinar in our series on the theme of skills for a post-COVID-19 world as part of the LSE Festival this week. If you've been with us all week, then it's great to see you again and congratulations on completing the box set. If you're with us for the first time today, then it's wonderful to have you with us. In this webinar series, we are considering the professional skills that you need for success in the post-COVID world, drawing on insights from the course conveners from LSE's online certificate courses. Each day, LSE faculty have been discussing research trends in their field, as well as practical ways to upskill your professional capabilities and how to meet the future challenges and opportunities that lie ahead for us all. At the end of each session, there's an opportunity for you to ask questions to the speaker. As Whilst we wait for everyone to arrive, we'd love to hear where in the world you are joining us from today. Thanks to Bill from what he describes as a cold New York for starting us off. And hello to Dominique from Nova Scotia, who I recognise as having been with us for quite a few of the sessions this week as well. Today, it is my great pleasure to introduce Dr. James Abday, who will be talking to us on the topic of using data for effective decision-making. Data-driven decision-making and the ability to communicate a large amount of information to audiences effectively are vital in any industry. During this event, James will discuss the essentials for an analyst statistical toolbox in a post-COVID world with practical examples of how you can harness data. James Abday is an assistant professorial lecturer in the Department of Statistics at LSE and is the course convener of LSE's online certificate course, Data Analysis for Management. His research interests include market research techniques and forensic statistics, the interplay of statistics and the law. Outside of academia, he has worked on various quantitative-based consultative projects in areas including the art market, the World Gold Council, and he's also delivered seminars at the UK Parliament. If you have any questions during the event that you'd like to ask James, then please do post your question in the Q&A box, and we will get to as many as we can at the end of the event. But without further ado, I will hand over to James. Russell, thank you very much indeed for that very uh, warm uh, introduction and happy Friday, everyone. And I can see that you are in various time zones around the world. So uh, good morning, good afternoon or good evening, depending on where you are. And thank you very much for taking uh, the time out to join us for uh, this, uh, this session. So let me just share my screen and uh, we will make a start. So uh, the title of the talk, goodness me, how to harness data to improve your decision making and increase your probability of success. That is quite a, a mouthful. So let's try and perhaps break that down. Well, perhaps even before we look at that, your skills for the post-COVID world. Um, a little over a year ago, I guess the term COVID-19 was alien to the vast majority of us. And yet now it's really impacting you know, every um, aspect of our really our, our daily lives. Will we ever truly be in a post 
post-COVID world? I will ask that question purely uh, rhetorically. Um, I think it's perhaps somewhat naive to suppose that COVID is just going to completely disappear anytime soon. And it may uh, fall to sort of humanity to adapt to living and hopefully just managing uh, with, with COVID. So, uh, the topic of today, data. I mean, I am um, a statistician by trade and clearly I love uh, data um, in terms of being able to assist us with decision making. So let's perhaps you know, break down the uh, session title, you know, how to harness data. Why do we need indeed to harness it? Well, I'm sure many of you are familiar with the, uh, the term big data. Now, there are various definitions I think we could offer for that, and I don't want to go heavy into uh, definitions, but we can broadly think of um, big data in terms of, shall we say, uh, the four uh, Vs, in that there is the sheer uh, volume of data and the sheer velocity at which data are being collected. Uh, fun fact, it's been estimated that perhaps in the last two or three years, We've probably, we as in humanity, have probably collected uh, more data digitally than in the rest of human history combined. And yeah, I think that's a staggering um, uh, statistic to think about, such that for my um, LSE undergraduates um, in year one, when they embark on their three-year uh, degree, um, I uh, think of them that by the time they graduate, the amount of data uh, collected upon uh, registration, um, you know, that volume again uh, could have been collected by the time they pass out with their uh, uh, degree and graduate. So there's no shortage of uh, data out there. I think there is a critical shortage of people with the ability, the skill to sort of make sense of uh, data. So we've got the, uh, the volume, and we've got the velocity, we have the variety of data. Data come in many different uh, uh, forms, structured and unstructured. So don't think necessarily that uh, when you wish to undertake uh, a data uh, analytic project that your data will already be nicely formatted, let's say in an Excel uh, spreadsheet ready for uh, analysis. Um, there's also the value um, aspect in that we can think of um, these vast data sets out there as containing value, but value which needs to be extracted. Now, I think it was The Economist um, some time ago um, postulated whether data is or are, you call it a singular or plural noun, uh, the new oil. And I thought that's a, it's an interesting analogy. And uh, analogies are, are really perfect. Um, I suppose, I mean, where there's a clear difference between oil and data is that oil is pretty much finite and uh, data for practical purposes, we can think of as near uh, infinite. So in that sense, you know, quite a, quite a gulf between oil and data. But um, uh, in terms of the value, um, does oil have value? Well, it depends. And um, uh, spoiler alert, it depends is the uh, classic LSE answer to all of life's questions, allegedly. Such that um, the crude oil, the stuff coming direct out of the ground, that itself doesn't really have value. It's only after that oil has been uh, refined into you know, aviation fuel, you know, petrol, gasoline, whatever, it's only then that it truly has some value, albeit so, you know, a move away from fossil fuels to uh, green uh, energy. But I think the analogy with uh, data um, works very well with this idea of refinement. 
in that the raw data um, themselves is perhaps of, of limited value. It's only once we effectively process that data to analyze it, make sense of that data, um, then it truly becomes valuable such that we convert data into information and ultimately insights uh, to inform uh, decision making. So the uh, middle line of the session title, improve your decision making. Um, you know, uh, we are all making uh, decisions all of the time, some trivial, some you know, life defining, you know, to study or not to study, uh, to invest or not to invest, uh, to lock down or not to lock down. So um, regardless of what that decision is, um, uh, the decision is made at the present moment in time and the consequences of those decisions are typically realized in the future. Now, the thing about the future is that it, it hasn't happened uh, yet. And so we are forever having to make decisions under uncertainty. And as uh, any student of mine studying statistics would know, uh, we will need to apply uh, probabilities as a means of quantifying um, uh, uncertainty, such that taking a, a data analytic approach to decision-making does not guarantee success. Um, you know, there are no certainties in life uh, other than allegedly, I think it's meant to be death and uh, taxes. Everything else is uncertain. And so while we cannot eliminate uncertainty, we can at least try and quantify it to help uh, improve our overall success rate, i.e. our overall probability of success. Now, um, my briefing for this session was to try and make this as interactive as possible. And clearly, with the wonders of the Zoom webinar technology, there is some limitation to that. But, you know, I wouldn't be a statistician if I didn't conduct a poll. And that is a cue alert for my poll uh, activator. So I have set up a very small uh, quantitative question for you, uh, which should be on your uh, screen uh, at any uh, moment now. And uh, please do uh, go ahead and um, answer the poll uh, question. Okay, and ah, oh, well, there we go. So um, first of all, perhaps just a little bit of background to this. And I understand some people watching this on um, other platforms may not be seeing this poll question. So for the benefit of, of all, the question was to pick a number at random between one and 10. Uh, and we had um, a pretty uh, healthy response rate. I've not seen exactly how many participants we have, but there are uh, a reasonable number of responses. So uh, everyone who participated in that poll uh, did indeed uh, correctly well, or, or provide an answer to that question. But if I focus on the phrase at random, at random. So um, I think this question itself I think no one could claim that this was controversial in any way. However, if you're seeing the uh, results on screen, you can see the bias which exists. And I predicted, um, and the, uh, my, um, uh, um, my moderator, Russell, will confirm, no doubt, in the Q&A session, that I predicted seven would be the uh, answer which uh, came up. In that, this goes to show that when human beings are making decisions, and clearly this was so uncontroversial, a number at random between one and 10. Now, you all did, who responded, you did choose a number between one and 10, but it was not done, strictly speaking, at random, because it was your, uh, your brains, it was you uh, making that choice. And um, when I 
played this little game in various parts of the world to you know, in, in you know, different geographical locations to different age groups. It doesn't make any difference. It's always seven, which turns out to be the modal answer. And look at that in, in sort of second and third place thereabouts. We've got sort of a six and eight you know, either side there of seven. And this goes to show the um, the bias that people have towards um, seven and, shall we say, higher numbers in the one to ten uh, case. Let me just uh, close that poll window. So um, in matters of decision making involving people, you and I um, appreciate that biases you know, always exist. Some of these biases are conscious. Some of these are unconscious. And I'm sure many of you perhaps uh, being on uh, areas of unconscious bias uh, you know, uh, workshops, uh, potentially. So biases uh, exist, and particularly for data sourced from people, uh, there's always that caveat about you. Can we trust our data? Um, do, do our data actually have uh, integrity? So um, the NSE, the NSE, um, like um, you know, many universities, we have a motto. Uh, ours is in Latin, and please forgive any poor Latin pronunciation. Uh, rerum cognoscere causas, uh, English translation, to understand the causes of things. Think of this, or I think of this at least, as really uh, the mission statement of the, the LSE, what we were founded and set up to do way back in uh, 1895. And so we had somewhat muted 125th uh, birthday celebrations at last year. So the thing about data and probability statistics is that it allows us to um, try and, I'm not saying it's easy to do, but to try and uh, understand the causes of things. Such that in matters of data analytics, broadly, we may think about two main uh, goals, two main objectives, one of which is the cognoscere to understand you know, what is driving um, you know, uh, a stock market, what is driving the spread of COVID-19 in a particular uh, region. Um, uh, so understanding, but also we may wish to make uh, predictions about uh, the future. So, uh, but before we can make predictions, we typically need a strong understanding. So uh, knowing your, your audience is always but a, a good piece of advice when delivering a presentation of uh, any type, but especially so involving uh, data. I'm going to make an assumption that many of you are uh, working uh, professionals, uh, given these sort of the target audience for this uh, talk. And so uh, while data analytics is clearly not for the exclusive uh, preserve of the, uh, the business arena, um, this offers at least one uh, interesting application. Namely, um, and I am deliberately simplifying here, um, the purpose of data analytics to explore and discover new patterns, trends, and uh, outliers. Well, let's take that word um, pattern or trends. I mean, you know, not to uh, take away from the public health crisis and the economic crisis of the pandemic, uh, but purely from a sort of data uh, perspective. I mean, I think we have all seen, in, you know, wherever we are in the world, uh, charts um, uh, indicating the level of or number of COVID case, um, cases or savvy uh, COVID deaths um, in specific regions or countries around the world. And the pandemic has shown um, really sort of an unprecedented level of demand from sort of the mainstream news media for um, you know, visualizations and the 
discussions about you know, the best way of communicating potentially very vast data sets to a mass audience. So the demand for statistical commentary um, has really been excessively high these past 12 months. And in particular, in matters of journalism, I think we're seeing much more in the way of data uh, journalism. Just yesterday, in fact, I was uh, listening as a, uh, yeah, as a uh, listener to uh, a webinar by uh, The Economist and their uh, data journalism team. Fascinating um, discussions there about how they um, source numerous data sets to uh, produce their Economist articles. And a particular um, uh, point they mentioned was that of outliers. Now, in sort of statistics 101, um, uh, of, uh, if anyone's taken a statistics courses previously, um, thinking about defining an outlier and deciding what you should do with it. You know, should you exclude it from your data set or should you uh, keep it in? And the economist very nicely touched on the outlier uh, aspect. And they were saying that sometimes you know, the outlier is the story and it's that extreme observation that they want to report on. Whereas other times uh, outliers are somewhat distorting and distracting. And so one may make the case to uh, remove them. But whether you uh, retain an outlier or delete it, of course, one needs to, first of all, you identify the existence of outliers and then uh, investigate um, the, the reasons behind them and hence whether we should keep them or uh, exclude them. Now, how would we do that? And certainly on the skills front of uh, this talk, uh, we can make use of data visualization software. And I'll give you a little demo uh, a little bit later on. So uh, data is, is rich. It's there to be uh, to be mined um, and in matters of business, for example, uh, but by no means exclusively uh, for the business domain, you know, discovering new markets, opportunities, but also um, optimizing and improving what we are, are currently doing and very much trying to make predictions of the future. Um, just to come back to COVID uh, momentarily, I think it was uh, Monday last week that uh, Boris Johnson UK Prime Minister was outlining the UK's sort of roadmap out of its uh, the third lockdown. And he was saying that um, the government was going to be guided by data rather than uh, dates. Uh, so there are you know, provisional dates about when various restrictions will be relaxed. But they said very much it is um, you know, a changing, a fluid environment, and they are going to be responsive to the latest data in terms of estimates of you know, the uh, current R value, number of cases, hospital admissions, uh, etc. So uh, even in the public sector, we're seeing very much, pleasingly, the use of data um, to drive uh, decisions. Clearly, whether to lock down a population or not is perhaps one of the you know, um, serious uh, decisions um, a government would have to, to contemplate. So um, in terms of the, the skills of you know, presenting your results of a data analysis, um, I think there's this notion of storytelling. Now, I stress, um, you know, if you read a, a storybook, you know, are you reading a book of uh, fiction or are you uh, reading a book of fact? So when I talk about sort of storytelling, in terms of data visualization, I'm very much thinking of um, a story of uh, fact. So um, various terms I'm sure you, you've hear, uh, heard bandied around in, um, um, in media. Um, I mentioned big data and data science, uh, another one. So what is data science? Well, I'll inevitably simplify, but let's ignore the word data and think about science. So who undertakes science? Uh, a scientist. 
Now, um, when I was at school, I did my sort of biology, chemistry, physics. Um, you know, I did uh, experiments uh, in laboratories. I had my test tubes, Bunsen burners, pipettes, uh, etc. And the idea was through the conducting of experiments to have a better understanding of um, the uh, of whatever the experiment was about, um, but have a better understanding and be able to hopefully make some discoveries. Well, a data scientist is broadly doing the same thing, but maybe not with a, a laboratory, but rather with data and potentially quite powerful computers to make sense of it. So um, in terms of, I think, a, a critical skill for the post-COVID world is not so much just being able to do the um, analysis of the data, but to be able to communicate the results to uh, the appropriate audience. Now, clearly, in matters of a pandemic, um, very uh, concise, clear, simple communication was vital back in what sort of March um, 2020 in, in the UK um, to um, influence people's behaviour about you know, having to you know, stay at home, you know, protect the NHS and uh, save, uh, save lives. So um, simplification of messaging uh, is critical. Now, if let's say you're working in a, a business environment, if you're the one analyzing the data, you are not necessarily um, the person who's uh, the key decision maker. And it may be that you know, part of your role is to persuade and convince the decision maker, guided by you know, a data and sort of data-driven and data-informed decision-making, and being able to tell a very uh, powerful and effective story. Now, you know, Perhaps uh, post this event, you'll have a look at some of the latest you know, COVID charts for your part of the world and think with a sort of critical eye, how effective are those charts at you know, communicating um, the, the, the spread of the virus in that particular region? What sort of scale is being used, you know, linear or a logarithmic scale, which is appropriate? What um, variables are being plotted? Are we interested in cases? Are we looking are we interested in deaths? Are we looking at uh, raw numbers? Are we looking at controlling for population? And just your know, slight um, your tweaks to, to settings in your visualization can potentially um, convey uh, very different uh, messages. So, so clearly there's um, scope for, shall we say, abuse of data and statistics, such that when if you are consuming the results of others, please do so with uh, a healthy degree of skepticism and look very closely about how um, the, the charts or data are presented and to make sure that there are no sort of ulterior motives trying to be um, uh, presented. Now, data, data. Uh, be afraid, be very afraid. Um, credits to Google here for the source of uh, the data. Uh, the VIX um, uh, index, known as sort of Wall Street sort of uh, fear gauge or fear uh, index, a measure about just how worried um, investors' financial markets um, are. So this is, uh, as you can see from uh, uh, a year ago, as the pandemic was really starting to spread uh, globally. And you can see uh, throughout March how the, the VIX um, increased dramatically to just over sort of a, a level of 80. Um, now, a number by itself is meaningless. You must always have some benchmark um, for comparison. So I think 
the appropriate benchmark would be sort of you know, the pre-COVID uh, era. And in you know, early, very early 2020 into uh, back into 2019, the VIX index tended to be around about you know 20 or, or 30 or so. And you could see the dramatic increase in fear due to perhaps arguably unprecedented uncertainty that the world faced. And clearly this is not you know, um, uh, specific to um, uh, un, uh, concern in financial markets about you know, how you know, um, uh, you know, we've never really experienced a, a, a global pandemic of this uh, magnitude um, in, in, in re more recent history. Yet very quickly, you know, in a matter of weeks into April 2020, you could see uh, a dissipation of that VIX index. So we're seeing now decisions, pretty major decisions of your central banks, you know, US Federal Reserve, for example, trying to steady, uh, steady the ship, you know, steady uh, markets. And there was a, a fairly uh, quick uh, dissipation in, uh, in the VIX. Um, I mean, think about yourselves. You know, as and when wherever you are in the world, when you went into lockdown, you probably had your own estimate back in March, April about how long you would be under um, lockdown arrangements. For myself, I was thinking maybe, perhaps naively, well, really naively now, maybe three or six months and things will be broadly back to normal. Well, you know, here we are about a year later and you're still UK currently in, in lockdown. But a great benefit of data and I, I don't think this could be stressed enough, is the ability done well to sort of uh, reduce the perception reality gap which exists in all aspects of life, um, such that when we make decisions, we tend to make it often based on your gut instinct or our um, personal, you know, uh, based on our personal uh, world view. And clearly our worldviews will no doubt deviate uh, substantially. Now, decisions based on perception um, are not necessarily leading to um, you know, good decisions. Uh, it's better that decisions are based on a reality. So done well and with good quality data, uh, and making data-driven or data-informed in decisions, there is tremendous potential for us to sort of reduce this perception reality gap. So just for um, you know, wh where we are now, um, this is the full history of the, the VIX index. And interestingly, look at that, in the uh, global financial crisis, 2008-9-ish, you can see the, uh, the peak fear was greater than the peak fear from the um, COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, now, personally, I was you know, very surprised to see that. I mean, global financial crisis was bad, but I think you know, the impact, uh, global impact of the pandemic has been far, far worse. Now, this is a simple you know, time series uh, chart of a single variable, yet um, uh, we can see that the reality from the VIX um, index seems to differ um, greatly from perhaps uh, what our perceptions might have been. Now, whether that's to say um, this was misplaced fear or maybe um, uh, an underestimate of the scale of the pandemic in March 2020. I mean, I'll leave that as, as an open question. So um, we heard, particularly in, in the media, in the early stages of the pandemic about different letters of the alphabet to talk about the, um, uh, the, the, the shape of the economic recovery. And again, your data has really come to the fore, such that you know, 
in, in previous years, we may um, have to rely on the somewhat lagging you know, macroeconomic statistics of GDP figures, unemployment, etc. But now with you know, things like uh, Google in sort of you know, real time, we can look at your know, restaurant bookings, your know, footfall on the high street, unemployment benefit claimant counts, etc. And um, the sort of velocity with which new data are being collected allows us to perhaps you know, um, you know, update our beliefs in a quicker time frame. Now, this, this list of letters of the alphabet have clearly um, expanded in uh, over recent months. So there was a lot of talk initially about you know, the V-shaped recovery. So the idea being the letter V, a, a sharp contraction and then a quick rebound. Then it was suggested maybe U, L, W. Um, I think more recently, uh, this K-shaped recovery, winners and, and losers. And you know, arguably in you know, any sort of you know, crisis catastrophe, there typically are winners and losers. We could perhaps debate the ratio of them, but, but they, uh, they exist. So in terms of skills for a post-COVID world, I suppose you would wish to be in the winner camp rather than the loser camp. And um, you know, the, the demand for people who can make sense of, of data, uh, I think it really exceeds the supply of such uh, individuals. And hence, it would be a very uh, sensible uh, decision for you to undertake to um, expand uh, your uh, quantitative skills. Now, of those um, on, on uh, the session, I would anticipate great variability in what those sort of prior level of, of skills uh, skills are. Um, but uh, uh, just some sort of food for thought about you know, if you wished to you know, develop these sorts of skill sets, what might be maybe you know, the top you know, five or so areas, at least as a starting point to, to consider? Well, I guess, first of all, sort of a, a mindset in that appreciate that you know, we do live in this world of um, uncertainty, uh, and clearly a very heightened uncertainty of um, as highlighted by, by the pandemic. And to uh, appreciate that to the future um, is not certain. And when you see you know, forecasts, projections for you know, COVID transmission based on the uh, different rates of the, the vaccine rollout around the world to treat these your forecasts or projections as precisely that, not a statement of fact about what will happen, but based on our, our best assessment, um, looking at the, the most recently available data about what we think uh, may happen. So uh, really uh, an awareness and an appreciation for uncertainty. Number two, data visualization and descriptive statistics. I, I love this theme. Now, um, let me, sorry, just uh, switch a uh, window. Uh, da, 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 da. So uh, a uh, an example of data visualization software is just one that uh, I um, use myself, uh, Tableau, but I mean other uh, software available. But the power of um, data visualization to communicate potentially vast quantities of data uh, very uh, quickly and uh, efficiently. So let's take your climate change um, as an example. And um, I think uh, uh, Bill Gates recently was saying that you know, um, uh, for humanity to solve the current pandemic is um, a, a tough um, um, task, but to solve the challenge of climate change, he considered to be even greater. So um, you know, decision makings about um, you know, uh, curbing you know, CO2 emissions, on what basis might governments, and I think really it's the politicians to, to be convinced, um, to undertake the right kind of um, uh, environmental policies. So just to give a, a, an example, um, 
not going into heavy detail on the uh, uh, construction of these visualizations. But note um, the simple use of color uh, to convey um, your orders of magnitude. And note here, we've got data and credits to Tableau for um, the production of this visualization going from around about well, 1850 to the uh, early uh, 2000s. So you know, over 150 years of data so it's taken a century and a half just to collect this information. Um, yet in one uh, visualization, we or one dashboard here, uh, combined of two visualizations, in fact, we can um, you know, convey, communicate to an audience uh, a very useful picture about um, how you know, the world's temperature is, is changing. And if I may, let's just go to sort out the, uh, the scatter plot. Remember I was saying about uh, data science, identifying your trends, patterns, your relationships, outliers. Well, what is the trend? Um, clearly, those points are not perfectly along a line. There's some noise here. And suppose we wished to um, filter out the signal from the noise. Well, easily done. And, and just a, a simple you know, drag and drop of the mouse, we can think about applying, let's say, a, a trend line. Um, perhaps the simplest you know, analytically to work with is a linear trend. And many people perhaps you know, mathematically it's easier to work with linear equations than nonlinear equations. But is the world truly uh, linear? Uh, I would suggest not, um, broadly it's uh, uh, non-linear. But you can see an increasing trend. I feel that trend line, um, it conveys a message that you know, the um, uh, difference from the median temperature in the uh, 1961 to 1990 uh, range. I mean, you know, the trend is upwards. Uh, perhaps, though, this is not the best fitting uh, trend line. Uh, let's take a sort of more polynomial approach. Aha. Uh -huh. And uh, I think you know, to the casual observer, this clearly offers a, a better fit to, um, to the data and perhaps nicely conveys, if we look at the, the accelerating you know, rate of change, that you know, increasing, yes, but what, in the last 50 or so years that we've seen a more dramatic, more significant increase um, in temperature. Now, okay, perhaps you know, the world's climate has always been changing and you know, forever will, but it's looking at the rate of this uh, change, which of course is uh, causing um, uh, alarm among uh, uh, climate scientists. Um, let's take an you know, um, uh, economic example, okay, perhaps uh, very historic data here, but um, inflation. Gosh, I mean, I've been reading many news reports recently about concerns about inflation. You know, we're seeing massive you know, fiscal and monetary stimulus uh, by governments around the world. I mean, there was a lot of that uh, to combat the financial crisis barely 10 years ago and really you had um, the world's you know, macroeconomic environment had it truly sort of normalized um, following the financial crisis interest rates were starting to, to go up a little bit but were still at you know, historically quite low levels then you know, barely 10 years later you have a, a massive global pandemic and then suddenly your, your monetary uh, policy uh, tool is somewhat or the ammunition of that has somewhat um, somewhat diminished so there are potential fears about um, uh, inflation um, in um, in the years ahead. Now, through a uh, again 70, 80 years or so of data on, on screen here, uh, done well, a simple visualization is good at telling a story. Uh, clearly, the deflationary spiral um, uh, as a consequence of the Great Depression. You've got your sort of your oil. 
uh, price crises of the 1970s, a more sort of um, benign uh, inflationary environments more recently, but you know, will that trend uh, continue? Um, so some uh, simple examples of the, uh, the data visualization. So just to sorry, come back here. And uh, the great thing about data visualization, I think anyone can do it, uh, having of course the, the data and the software to do so, but the construction of uh, data visualizations, I mean, within about you know, an hour or two, even uh, as a novice user of software, I think you can be creating some very informative and engaging visualizations quite quickly. And then I offer up the examples of the numerous COVID charts we've seen in, in the past year. So I think that that is a, a great skill, albeit, albeit um, with a caveat that data visualization is more of a, a descriptive exercise. It's describing um, you know, um, or perhaps identifying a, a trend or a pattern. But now we come back to the, the rerum cognoscere causas, understand the causes of things, you know, what's driving those particular trends. So the increase in global temperature, is it due to uh, human uh, economic uh, activity? Uh, number three, uh, quantifying risk through uh, th th through probability. So, um, you know, as a statistician, you know, we, we use probabilities to um, you know, quantify uncertainty. But um, mentioning the the the, the V's of, of big data, you know, the one of them, the velocity, the speed of collecting new data, and the importance of um, being able to use the latest available data to update our beliefs about the world. Again, uh, Boris Johnson's announcement um, from um, last uh, Monday, you know, he set out, which was what, uh, 13 or so, uh, no, 10, 11 days ago. Um, oh, my mental arithmetic's terrible. Um, uh, Boris Johnson you know, made his announcement then and gave target dates for certain different levels of um, relaxation of restrictions. But he said, you know, this will be guided by, um, they will be guided by data and not dates. And depending on things like you know, the vaccine rollout, any new um, you know, uh, um, mutant you know, variants of COVID-19 and how effective are the vaccines um, against those? Um, and you know, are people still observing social distancing, et cetera, et cetera. And as new data comes to light, it's only right and proper in a sort of Bayesian way that decisions are um, or our view of the world is updated in light of the most um, recent uh, information. Things change, trends change. Then uh, you saw in the, the climate change case there, uh, uh, perhaps an increasing trend in the 19th century, but at quite a, a low rate of uh, increase and accelerated more, um, let's say in the last uh, 50 years. Data integrity. Can you trust your uh, data? Um, particularly, I mean, we are the London School of Economics and political science. Many people forget that little uh, addendum. So if we were to look at, let's say, you know, political opinion polling, I mean, take the uh, US presidential election of what, November 2020. Okay, the pollsters, I think, you know, broadly got it right in terms of predicting uh, Joe Biden would win. But I think the margin of his victory, um, that was sort of overestimated. Uh, and you know, perhaps the pollsters hopefully have learnt lessons of you know, failing to predict the outcome in 2016, um, and they had hoped to be more accurate in their 2020 polls. And it just goes to show that when you're collecting data from people, and I come back to the 
pick a number between at random between one and ten. Um, there are always you know, potentials for biases in uh, data collected from uh, individuals. And so um, being, first of all, aware and conscious of biases which can exist in data is uh, the starting point. And then, of course, um, trying perhaps easier said than done, to remove those biases from, uh, from data sets. Now, just on that presidential election example, uh, clearly uh, tended to overrepresent perhaps more Democrat-leaning uh, voters, underrepresenting Republican-leaning voters, and on various demographic characteristics, such that I think the pollsters were trying to uh, adjust for over and underrepresentation, um, but um, as we see from sort of the eventual vote tally, um, and like states like Florida um, was predicted to go uh, blue and it went uh, red. So clearly um, is you know, easier said than done to get a truly sort of representative sample. Final point, and I want to get to the Q&A, evidence-based decisions. And I, I am hopeful, I, I consider myself broadly a, a, an optimist, that you know, going forward, we will see more data-driven decision-making, whether it's in the private sector, whether it's in the, the public sector, uh, and very much in the public sector. I'd like to see um, government policy in, in, in any part of the world driven more by the reality from um, reliable um, 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 uh, data than politicians you know, making decisions based on their sort of uh, perceptions. And remember, there's often a vast gulf between perception and, uh, and reality. Now, I appreciate it, it takes time, depending on your prior um, quanti uh, level of quantitative skills. It does take some uh, investment of time and effort to develop these. Um, and of course, there are always opportunity costs. You know, each of us uh, faces the same dilemma. We have 24 hours in a day. You know, there's a limit to what we can do. And we've got to decide um, you know, where to uh, allocate our, our time and effort. But I think the, um, you know, the, the sort of cost benefit analysis, you know, the benefit of you being able to you know, um, uh, analyze data, make sense of it, and assist with better decision uh, making will typically outweigh the more negligible costs in terms of the time aspect of acquiring those skills. So, in a very British way, I should say that um, please do keep calm and analyze uh, your data. And if you do so, I do not promise you success. I, I, I will not give you that cast iron guarantee, but I'm looking about trying to increase your probability of uh, success. Uh, so um, that concludes uh, my two or three cents. And I believe Russell has appeared. Hello, Russell. Hello, James. And <laughs> I can confirm you did promise me before we started the session that everyone would vote, or the most popular answer <laughs> would be seven. So yes. I'm, uh, I'm impressed. Thank you. Well, uh, you know, people are, you know, because uh, it was people answering that question and people are, you know, the irrationality of people in having that sort of bias towards seven, um, you know, that for me was completely uh, predictable, having done that experiment many times. <laughs> oh, it, it, certainly, it certainly was true here. Well, you, you said it yourself, data has come to the fore over the last year. So as you can imagine, there's been a number of questions in the Q&A relating to COVID and the last year. But what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna start with some of the broader questions first, and then we'll we'll kind of wrap up with a perhaps a quick fire round, I think, around around okay. COVID. So, okay. so the first question that's that's the most popular one that's been upvoted is from from Florian, who is sort of asks, beyond storytelling, are there is there kind of evidence or studies about what types of visualization 
are the most effective to transmit certain types of, mm. of information. So I guess, what do you think about when you're choosing your uh, visualizations? Uh, great question. And I, I think um, I'll answer it, if I may, with saying that you know, data visualization or, or data viz uh, uh, for short, um, to use the lexicon, um, it's really a, an art as much as it is a science. And there's not necessarily a single right way of presenting data. Clearly, depending on the number of variables and the type of data you have, clearly some visualizations will be preferable uh, uh, to, to, to others. But it does require a bit of trial and error. And I, I will come back to those COVID uh, charts. I mean, they have evolved over the last you know, 12 months. Um, and you, what's the best metric to judge um, you know, the state of COVID in a particular country? Is it cases? Well, that's going to depend on testing regimes, and they'll be highly variable around the world. Um, is it uh, deaths? Um, perhaps it's a very macabre concept, but it's perhaps the most objective measure is that of excess deaths, which means deaths above uh, an average, let's say the historical average for the, the last um, uh, five years. Now, those excess deaths are not necessarily all directly due to COVID, um, but it's deaths that we could perhaps attribute to COVID, e.g. hospitals too busy dealing with COVID cases to treat other conditions. So it's not easy um, and, and it, it will require trial trial and error. Uh, it's knowing your audience, what sort of you know, um, level of technical expertise are they likely to have. I think the use of colour is very helpful, but be conscious of uh, colour blindness, red-green colour blindness. Tableau is aware of that and the default colour setting avoids um, uh, the, the red-green. So, um, well, the classic LSE answer, it depends <laughs> on the choice. Brilliant, thanks. And then actually a, a, a question from Therese, who's asked um, sort of practically, what are the, the skills that somebody would need to perform data analytics? Perhaps particularly she's interested in a digitized business. But if you're looking for a career in this field, what, what would you say that the, the key skills well, OK, I, I, in my short talk today, it was perhaps more of a focus on the data biz side. Clearly, that is your one aspect, by no means the only one in um, you to be a, a data analyst. And I suppose it depends on which sort of area one wishes to specialise in. Um, the nice thing about data visualisation is that you know, they say a, a picture what speaks, uh, sorry, a story, uh, uh, whatever, a picture speaks a thousand words. A data visualisation speaks a thousand data points or more. Depends what you're trying to achieve. Is it um, describing the data? And I think that's an excellent starting point. And I, I don't claim that should it should necessarily be the end of um, an empirical investigation. But you, know, you want to you know, highlight interesting areas to deep dive uh, further. So uh, if you were to go more into the, the modelling, I mean, I come back to COVID, it's of course very topical trying to model the transmission of the virus in, in a country and the various uh, epidemiologists out there, they'll have their uh, various models and all of the you know, assumptions attached to them. And I'm sure there'll be disagreement about the validity of those assumptions. But if you wanted to get more into the modeling side, then clearly um, uh, putting in time and effort to develop your programming skills, things like R, Python um, would be um, uh, uh, natural um, uh, starting points. So, um, yeah, you, you'll never be an expert in everything. Um, and it's perhaps trying to you know, um, experiment a bit, see what appeals to you, and then you know, refine the skills in that particular area. But I think it's good to have a sort of your breadth as well as depth. Right. Well, you've answered both questions by talking about COVID. So we will get to the COVID questions. But well, I'm, I'm sorry. Before we do, I will. Um, there's, there's another popular question that's coming from Janice. So let's see if you can help us set the story straight on this. So you talked about data science 
But what's yes. the difference in a couple of sentences between data analysts, data analysis, and data science? Oh, that, that, that's a good one. Well, I mean, I mean, some people may use those terms interchangeably. Um, is that fair to do so? I, I would say perhaps you. Know, the data science is a bit more on the, the technical side, perhaps, you know, um, uh, looking at your, your database infrastructure, more sort of the, the programming side to develop your algorithms. Maybe a, a data analyst is a bit, a bit more, say, superficial, but looking more at maybe the customer facing or you, um, you know, the, the consumer facing side, um, perhaps more on um, you know, you're presenting the results of, um, of the analysis. Now, you know, I, I feel, I mean, both have their, their strengths, but it's perhaps good to have an appreciation of you know, the technical side and the communication side. You can do the most wonderful analysis, but if you can't persuade people, the key you know, um, decision makers to um, make decisions based on your findings, and this would have been a complete uh, waste of time. So I, I would always stress the importance of a, you know, strong communication skills, for which data visualization, I think, is a great way and a very efficient way of communicating 150 years of climate data. Um, I didn't collect it, but, uh, uh, but you know, in just one dashboard, um, you get a sense very clearly about you know, where, where things are headed with regards to the climate. So um, broadly, I would say uh, more the data analyst, business analyst, perhaps a bit more on the reporting side, the description side, and the data science side, a bit more on the techie. techie. Right, there we go. So that, that was really helpful. Hope that answered um, the, the question. Now, Hannah um, has, uh, let's go on to the COVID questions. Okay. And let's start with one that Hannah has asked, which is perhaps a nice broad one to start with. And, and that's an opinion one for, for you, really. But, but she asks, do you think it's a good trend that more people are becoming interested in looking at graphs during COVID-19 and interacting, engaging with data themselves, perhaps? Or are you more worried about the risk of, of I guess, people doing this and misinterpreting things and, and, and without having perhaps the skills to do it? Uh, well, I, I think it, it's always good to motivate and see people's interests and engagement. Of course, there is the risk that people misinterpret things. And hence, that's why you know, it falls to education, you know, educationists to, to you know, instruct people properly in the interpretation. What is the difference between a, a linear scale and a logarithmic scale? And indeed, I think um, you know, perhaps you know, academics creating these COVID charts with a logarithmic scale, no doubt very versatile in you know, what logarithm means. Um, but I, I think um, for you know, the general public, are they you know, probably uh, uh, interpreting um, uh, uh, those charts? But I mean, that, that's really a matter of um, uh, education. It's great to see the um, the stimulation of interest in uh, in data uh, and clearly i'm sure people's personal interest will go beyond just just covid but you know, the, the nature of the variables you're plotting i mean that's just more domain specific but the the um the usefulness of the database i think is is um you know, that's the key point so in fact actually that's interesting because rachel's asked quite a popular question as well which is when and why do you use log Ah, well, I mean, um, because of the uh, the COVID-19 um, uh, virus, I mean, I'm no virologist, but you've got the, the exponential growth of um, you know, cases there. Okay? And I'm sure you've all heard about the, the R number and the estimates of the R number. And to know the R number itself is um, you know, easier said than done. And the estimates are a lot of you know, um, you know, uh, uncertainty, uh, confidence intervals attached to, to those uh, estimates. So in order to... Um, uh, if you think about you know, 
take, take I'll take the UK as being you know, being based here for the last year. Is that you know in the very early days, you know February March, you know, the number of cases was you know, uh, in absolute numbers pretty small, and then you saw this you know, dramatic uh, increase. And it's about trying to um, uh, fit, shall we say, um, the data in um, uh, a suitable way, given the stylized facts of the variable you're plotting. So because it's a sort of you know, exponential growth, you've got R, R of two, so was it one person infects you two others on, on average, and then very quickly that's going to compound. And it's the, the logarithm of that you know, um, is, is um, the more useful way of, of uh, um, conveying the data. But I mean, some, um, Johns Hopkins uh, University being you know, synonymous with you know, collecting um, uh, COVID data, and um, and I've seen, uh, for example, the Financial Times has done a, a great use of their data journalism team. And that's been evolving over time and over the last year about what's being uh, plotted. And is it you know, not just um, you know, log versus linear, but you know, raw cases or cases per 100,000 or per million? And I think you know, pop, you know, uh, it's like an aggregate versus a mean. And I, I think you know, that's one of the simplest stats you would cover in, you know, Stats 101, you know, and I think you know, an average is perhaps more informative than, than an aggregate, but of course other people may, may, may disagree. So there may not be consensus on how to uh, approach it, um, but you, you would take your view. And then this comes back to the communication skills and the powers of persuasion and to argue your case about why you feel you know, your choice of, of visualization is, is the most effective. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's helpful. Thanks, James. And I guess an, an interest, another sort of big theme in the pandemic, um, which is highlighted by Bill, who's in, in New York, um, is around ethics in data presentation. So I guess perhaps thinking, I mean, comments on it on COVID, but I guess also for us thinking about it as, as managers, what sort of things should we be thinking about from an ethical perspective when we're we're using data? Um, well, I mean, I guess we could take this in, in various dimensions. I mean, in terms of just reporting a chart, I mean, you know, clearly citing your source of your data. I mean, I think in some of my cases, it was an oral citation rather than, than, than written. Um, so, and you know, data integrity, can you trust your data? Is the data from a reputable source or uh, a less reputable one? But I, I think also on, on the ethics front, and this is where I think, you know, the, the legal profession, and I think you know, there's are the laws of the land more equipped for the analog age or the digital age? We've got things like your GDPR, blah, blah, blah. Um, but uh, I, I think there's scope to um, ensure that you know, people's privacy concerns about you know, to what extent do they want to be um, to be monitored? And um, perhaps that, you know, that's a debate you know, to be had among the general public. And I guess it would fall down to like a cost benefit analysis. You know, what, you know, if I give up some you know, private information about me, um, you know, that's a cost. Uh, what benefit do I get in return? And does you know, does the benefit justify the cost? So I, I think you know, the, the ethics side, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, a major uh, major to topic for, um, topic to consider. And I think laws in various countries you know, over time, I think, need to be um, you know, updated for for the digital era. Yeah, I think that, I mean, there's a, almost a whole session in itself, probably on 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 on, on ethics and and data. So. Um, Again, interesting question from Vijay, who, who, who I assume, based on what he's asked about, must be in the UK. So he has 
he's asked a question about using data. I guess when you should and shouldn't use data, I think is behind his question. And, and I get, so uh, his example is the, uh, which we might need to explain for our international viewers, is the exam algorithm, which was used to decide A-level results oh. or to inform how A-level results were allocated to students in the UK uh, at secondary school students uh, last summer. And so where, how do you use, how do you, does data and data analysis need to fit with its context? And, 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 and perhaps is there a time when we shouldn't, we, we try and go to data too much? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll um, get the benefit of our international audience. So, um, you know, uh, examinations or in-person examinations were, were uh, well, at school level were cancelled um, in the UK last year, I suspect in other countries too. So, but students still need a qualification, they need a grade. So if there's no exam script, how do you get the grade? So broadly, you know, the algorithm was looking about trying to predict what the, the algorithm thought these particular students were going to get in terms of their grade. Now, I mentioned bias in sort of various capacities. And um, it seems that the algorithm um, didn't sufficiently take into account a, a whole host of, of um, uh, parameters. I don't want to go into the technical uh, details now. So um, uh, it still needs some you know, human insight. And while and you know, with the rise of you know, machine learning and AI, I mean, computers are good, but for the time being, I still think there needs to be a sense check, which for now, I don't think the computers can provide and we still need that, that human um, uh, input. And as soon as those uh, predicted, um, or those um, official grades got released, um, you know, there was a huge you know, political um, storm and it arose very quickly when many students felt hard done by that their predicted grade fell well short of what they thought they, they, they deserved. So those biases, it was unfortunate that you know, these weren't picked up before the publication of those results. So um, bias, I mean, you know, creeps in in all sorts of places and you know, um, always be aware or be on the lookout for it. So I think you know, for the foreseeable future, e.g. our career um, lifespans, I, I think you know, there's still going to be uh, a significant need, even if we you know, um, you know, defer a lot of the number crunching to the computers that the need for a sense check, you know, a reality check. Does it seem reasonable? Um, does it seem plausible? Uh, that itself doesn't guarantee what you uh, predicted is going to be right or, or close to right, but you can usually pick out or identify when things are, are really off. So, um, um, you know, skills for a post-COVID world, um, you know, the human skills of, you know, making sense of, of the data. Yeah. And does, does it make sense? And that is a great practical tip on which to end our session. Thank you to everybody for your questions. Thank you so much to James for your time. And thank you very much to, for everyone for joining us today. Um, thank you for, to you all. Um, for, if you, for how many of the sessions you've joined, we hope you've enjoyed them and found them insightful. And I, um, you can find out more about our online certificate course, Data Analysis for Management, led by James. I hear it's good. I hear it's really good. Which but I'm biased. <laughs> you are biased, which helps you develop the skills you need to communicate data with confidence, as well as our entire portfolio of online courses via the link which is on the slide right now. You can also find out what other online events are happening throughout the rest of term by going to the LSE events website. If you would like to catch up on any of the sessions from this week or share them with a friend or colleague, then you can find them on the LSE Festival Hub webpage and on the LSE player. We'll also be writing up summaries of all the key takeaways from each of the five skills for a post-COVID world um, series that we've done this week. 
So keep an eye out on our social media channels for those. We hope to have them available in a few weeks time. Thank you once again to everyone for joining us. Thank you so much for your engagement and your questions. Goodbye for now. Have a great day. Stay safe, stay healthy.